Anybody had something like that happen to them, something similar? Um, or uh, I've noticed uh, more and more on flights that they tend to overbook them, okay? And then they, they, they're going to give you a, a voucher for another flight, but it may not be till tomorrow. And if you're traveling alone, especially, you run the risk of getting bumped off the flight because they overbooked the flight, which is like, well, why did I buy the ticket then? What was the point? Um, but here we have it, um, great customer service, right? Um, or maybe you've just called a customer service rep. Um, I don't know if you guys have, uh, have, uh, have experienced this before where you call one person and then sometimes you might get disconnected or something, which you kind of go to expect these days. Uh, and then when you call back the second person, it's like the first person had no idea what was going on. The second person just fixed your problem like that. And it's like, why didn't I just call back and why did they just not get it done the first time? It's very frustrating. Um, maybe, maybe you've thought this or said this out loud, that this statement before is, hey, whoever you are, whoever you're talking to, you're making this more difficult than it needs to be. You're making this... No, not going. There it is. You're making this more difficult than it needs to be. You're making this more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, some of you are in the season of tax forms, okay, and filling that out. Like, there's no way. I mean, some of you can do it without TurboTax or something, but there's just, like, no way to do it without uh, a tax help um, to get all those forms done. And, and that's just frustrating um, because you're supposed to pay it. Um, they're asking you to pay money, uh, but they don't make it easy for you to even do uh, or maybe you're in a business or a company organization where they roll out improvements, you know what I'm saying? And you look at those improvements and you're like, this is taking us back. This is going to take more time to get this done. And I really don't even understand the point. And you just want to look at whoever thought up that idea and saying, you're making this more difficult than it needs to be. And the problem with this um, that you may not necessarily, you know, like cognizantly think of, uh, but the problem with when this happens, when things are more difficult than they need to be, is that it makes, whether it makes the rest of the day more difficult, maybe it makes the rest of your week difficult, or maybe the rest of your career at that employer, or, or the future, your future, or other people's future more difficult. It affects everybody, not just for that moment, but likely for the future as well. And that's important because of the principle that we've been talking about in the last two weeks. And if you, if you haven't been here the last two weeks, you can always go on our app or our website and catch up in part one and part two. But the point of, of the last two weeks, the main uh, gist that we've been talking about is that your, or excuse me, your direction determines your destination. That if you are pointed one way until you move to a different way, you will get to that end destination, whatever that looks like at the end of the direction that you are pointing at. It's a very easy concept. It's especially easy when we see it in others. You're making this more difficult because you see their behavior and how that is going to not only affect you but others and make their life more difficult, specifically their future more difficult. Now some of us, including myself, we've come to the realization once in a while uh, that we are maybe more the problem than anybody else. A little, a little recognition, rec recognizing that I'm the problem, that I'm the one that's making this more difficult than it needs to be. That moment, uh, it's usually after you've cooled down a little later that night or the next day, when you realize you came in on your family or your friends, uh, maybe because of something that happened that day or, or a relationship or whatever, and, and you came in and you were probably a bit more critical than you needed to be, you know that moment? and you realize that you're probably overly critical, and the problem is that it set the tone for the rest of the night. 
the rest of the day, the rest of the week. Maybe it took you a couple weeks to reconcile the criticism that you doled out in that moment. And you're sitting there, and, and I, this happened to me this week, and I just sat there and I'm like, why wasn't I just more grateful? Just more grateful for the fact that, you know, I have a car, or I have a family, or I have food, or just these basic things that it's like we just take so much for granted, and instead I'm just being critical of things that honestly aren't that big of a deal. But yet here we are, and I'm the one that's made it more difficult. Sometimes you, you uh, are in a situation and you're a little bit more passive than you should have been. You, you should have been listening, but you didn't. And you know how that's going to work out because two weeks down the, the, down the road when your wife told you to be at one place and you were at another and you weren't there, you weren't there on time because you didn't listen, you sit there to yourself and say, why wasn't I more engaged? I have made this more difficult on myself. The problem is we are oftentimes making not only this moment or a moment in time more difficult, but then we're making our future more difficult as well. So wouldn't it be nice that in the midst of this, in the midst of these moments, we might have a chance to step back, uh, uh, something that could help us to recognize, I think I'm in this moment where I'm making my life, maybe I'm making the lives of others more difficult than it needs to be. Because this is a really difficult thing to recognize, but wouldn't it be nice if there was like one thing we could just ask ourselves or a filter that we could look through to say, I think I'm making this more difficult than it needs to be. Now, some of you have experienced this last one, um, hopefully not too often, um, but it's worth talking about, especially considering the little passage that we're going to look at today. And it's that sometimes, this might be a shock, but sometimes Christians, Christians make this, being Christianity, more difficult than it needs to be. Which is really strange. Because Jesus, the guy who started Christianity, put the Christ in Christian, okay? He, in this moment, one moment, actually a number of moments, sat down with his closest followers and said, if you want people to know that you are one of my followers, you need to love them. And they will know because of how you love them that you are one of my followers. That's the sign of a Jesus follower. Yet we've all heard stories at the very least, seen stories, watched them on the news where Christians make Christianity make this more difficult than it needs to be. That Christians can be sometimes one of the most unwelcoming, unloving, judgmental, selfish so many rules, you don't even know where they start and end group of people, which makes it understandably really difficult for people looking on the outside in to say, I want to be a part of that because why would you want to be a part of something that's so constrictive and negative? Who would want to be a part of that? And so wouldn't it be nice if even as Christians, we could take a step back and we could say to ourselves, hey, maybe we've gotten off track. Maybe we need to reassess the situation to make sure we are not making things more difficult than they need to be. Wouldn't it be nice as we move into our future that we could step back and say, we may need to readjust and a filter to look at that through. And to get this filter, um, the, this idea, uh, we're going to look at a passage today. And it's a passage that happened in a moment of history. Uh, it was a few years after Jesus' time on earth. Uh, Jesus had died. Uh, as Christians, we believe he rose again and ascended into heaven. And then he had left his closest followers in charge of what was becoming known as 
the church, this, this community of people that represented um, him, the body of Christ, okay? And so um, he's out there, or they're, they're um, all, um, you know, meeting people and telling people about the good news of Jesus, all this kinds of stuff, okay? And some of the Christians, shockers, start to get in a disagreement, okay? They start to disagree. Um, specifically, there was two groups. One group was the group we're going to call the Jewish first group. Because Christianity um, was a continuation of uh, the Jewish uh, Old Testament and continues into the New Testament and the New Covenant. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecy of this coming Messiah or the Christ. And so um, the, there was a group of people who were Jewish first and said, if people want to follow Jesus, if people want to become Christians, they need to become Jewish first. And for the men... Specifically, this presented a little bit of a challenge <clears throat> because to become Jewish first required a little surgery, okay? Um, you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Circumcision, okay? <clears throat> so there was a group of, I know all the guys are like, really? Yeah, yes. So there were some people who were arguing that to become Christian, the, the men needed to go through a little surgery, okay? And so, and so um, you're tracking with what's happening here? Okay. Okay, thank you. All right, so th there was that group. And then there was another group, and this other group uh, had people um, that we're going to hear from, like Paul and Barnabas, who were like, that is not what we should be making people do. In fact, that is not the way of Christianity. That's not what defines a Christian. And so, um, and, and, and then they looked at the other group and they said, you're making this more difficult than it needs to be. And then they started getting all angry. And so essentially the church as a whole, however many thousands of people that were in the church a few years after Jesus said, we got to get together and we got to figure this out. And so they all went to Jerusalem, okay, and they had a council, all right? And so they all got together and it's called the council at Jerusalem, really creative in its naming. Uh, specifically, this happens in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, which a guy named Luke wrote. And Luke may be a familiar guy to you because um, if you grew up in church, there's four gospels that tell the account of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke actually wrote a really long gospel that included what we know as Acts. In other words, he wrote this really long book, story, and documented it, and then we cut it in half. And we call the first half the book of Luke, and we call the second half Acts. But it's really one story uh, continued um, over time. And so Luke wrote this and documented what happened at this council in Jerusalem, okay? And so everybody went together. Luke records it, and here's um, how Luke 15 starts. And, and we don't have time to go like line by line, but certainly encourage you when you go home today to read Acts chapter 15 because uh, it's a really interesting kind of moment in Christian history that really has thousands and thousands of years of impact. Okay, so the apostles and the elders met to consider this question of how do you become a, uh, a Christian? You have the Jewish people who say Jewish first, Christ, uh, some people who said, no, 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 you're just Christian, you're Christian, you're Christian, and then you had all the men who were waiting anxiously to figure out how this was going to dole out for them, okay? So that's what you have going on. All right, so then we start getting into the heart of it in uh, verse 7. After much discussion, so they went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I don't know if Peter just kind of stayed out of it. My guess is he probably just kind of stayed out of it because Peter was a really big deal, okay? He was the walk-on-water type of guy, all right? And, and he had spent a lot of time with Jesus and people really considered him to kind of be more or less in charge. Peter got up to say some things. So everybody just got quiet because Peter was going to talk. And he addressed them. And he says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles, in other words, the non-Jewish people, non-Jewish people like you and me, 
might hear from my lips the message of the good news or gospel and believe. So they're going to hear about Jesus' death, resurrection, and the life change that you can experience through Jesus, and they can believe in that, have faith in that. God had decided that that's how this was going to go, okay? And so then, um, uh, then, then Peter continues. I think Peter continues. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Translation, why are you going to expect something of others that you yourself have not been able to do? Christian people, why are you going to expect other people, especially those who are not Christians, to behave and believe things that you believe is a Christian, but they're not Christian? Why would you put that yoke on people who do not yet have the same faith as you? To an extent, especially if you yourself can't actually practice that, that's just hypocritical. So why in the world would you do that? In other words, you're making Christianity more difficult than it needs to be. And then Paul gets up, and Paul says some awesome things about what's happening up north and, and that people are coming to faith and all this kinds of stuff, and it's just really cool. Everybody's like, yeah, that's great. You know, the Gentiles, non-Christian people are coming to faith in Jesus. This is powerful. And then Luke says that James... James, who was the pastor, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, probably like a church, maybe this size, maybe a little bit bigger, um, he was in charge of it, the half-brother of Jesus, stands up, and um, he says uh, to the audience this, this important, important thing that we're going to spend some time on. It is my judgment, he says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, he says, I agree. We need to remove anything unnecessary um, and stay focused on what really, really matters. I know this will shock you. Maybe some of you know some church history, but there was a time in church history uh, where the Bible was written in a language that only the priests could read, which did two things. It consolidated all the power of the church into the priest's hands, which that went really well, And then, um, and then it made it so that it was very difficult for anybody to come to faith outside of having some connection to a priest or a church. Made it very difficult. So that when you went to church on Sunday mornings, um, you, you went to Mass, you'd sit there and you'd say, I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea what they're doing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, why I'm supposed to do this. It's just also very, very confusing. To which some of you might say, that was my childhood growing up too. That's how I felt, and they were speaking English, okay? And so Paul or James is saying, we have to not do that anymore. We have to stop making it difficult. We have to stop making it difficult. And James, I don't know if you realize this, he is bringing such extraordinary clarity to this. And in fact, if we want to apply it to our own lives, we can apply this to our own lives. Because what James is getting at is something I think we miss all the time, and therefore fall into traps of making things more unnecessarily difficult for ourselves than they need to be. And here's essentially what James was asking. James was asking the question, what matters most? What matters most? Let me give you a really practical example. We're, most of us are familiar with Amazon.com, okay? 
Some of us are too familiar with Amazon.com, okay? It might be borderline addiction that we have to stop, okay? And Amazon.com, okay? Amazon.com, which may surprise some of you, is not a sales company. It is not a product company. It is not a book company. If you go and look at Amazon.com's mission statement, their mission statement is to be Earth's most customer-centric company. Earth's most customer-centric company. That means if our customers want a product, we get the product. Why do we have a lot of products? Because our customers want a lot of products. And we are here to serve our customers. Why do we offer really fast shipping? Because that's what our customers want. Does that help our bottom line sometimes? No, but that's not the point. The point is to be a customer-centric company. And when you so hone in on what matters most, All the extra stuff starts to push to the side and you have enormous ability to move through even some difficult decisions when other people are coming and saying, oh, we want our money and this and this and this and this. And as a company, they could move through that. They could navigate through that and stay ultimately focused on what mattered the most. And James is saying, church, church, you're making, your discussion, your debate right now is making the rules the rules more important than the people for whom the world rules were made. You're getting things confused. You think it's all about the rules and that God cares that we follow the rules. No, no, no. God cares that we follow him. You're more worried about the tradition versus the people for whom the tradition was meant to help. And therefore, you are making it unnecessarily difficult for people trying to turn to God. Let's go back to that verse, and I want to highlight a different line. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James says, this is what matters most, people turning to God. And right now, church, you are trying to compromise this. This is what's most important. And then he could have gone on to say, like, did Jesus say that we, we sh- uh, should have, uh, the men should have a little surgery? Did Jesus say that? And everybody would be like, well, no, he didn't say that. And, and James was said, well, yeah, Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of the law and that we could have life everlasting with him when we put our faith in him, not when we go through surgery. So let's do what Jesus says and not get lost and distracted on what our tradition has held for so many thousands of years. And let's not disrespect the tradition, but let's make sure we focus in on the question, what matters most? Now, when we apply this to our own lives, I would suggest that most of us aren't quite sure what matters most. That we're stressed, we're depressed, We struggle to answer some of the questions in life. We struggle with our direction in life because we've not seriously sat down and asked ourselves, written down, talked to our spouse about what matters most. And so then when two of us maybe disagree on what matters most, we have conflict. Or when one of us isn't sure what matters most, we kind of go through life a little bit like a pinball machine. We get shot out and we're excited. We got some momentum going on. And then we just start hitting things. 
we're not sure what we're hitting. We're hoping one of them is a good thing, but we kind of just go through life hoping that something's going to bump into us, bump into us, and everything's just going to work out. That we're just going to bump into the right career. We're going to bump into stability. We're going to bump into that gorgeous-looking man or woman, and and everything is just going to change. And then when we bump into it, we'll know what matters most. Literally, when it hits us. I think too often we wait for what matters most to just happen instead of deciding what matters most first. What matters most first. Some of us struggle, um, and and we kind of know this in our heart of hearts, some of us, we struggle with addiction. And that can look a lot of different ways. I mean, it's the obvious, like alcohol and those kinds of things. But yeah, maybe it's Amazon.com, or maybe it's, maybe it's, it's money, or it's websites, or it's video games, or there's just something that pulls at us. And it is making our life more difficult. Now, there's maybe a momentary high that comes with the addiction, but after that, and as it starts to wear off, we know that life is more difficult. Therefore, we go back and get that high again. And what we're forgetting to prioritize, what we're forgetting, what we're hurting, the future that we're forgetting that we're hurting is the future of what matters most. A clean future. And it's difficult to get there if we don't actually know where we're trying to go. Some of us are in the the dating world and and that whole thing, okay, we know what matters most, and, and we, we know it here, is what matters most is like an authentic, real, uh, healthy relationship. But the problem is we're a little bit consumed with the uh, aesthetics of the other person more than anything else. We're, we're consumed a little bit too much with the physical nature of and the excitement and the chemistry of dating. For some of us, we're a little too consumed with um, not being alone, And so then we make wrong decisions, bad decisions, making it more difficult for ourselves and others because we really don't prioritize what actually matters most. Someone who's stable and consistent and and is in a healthy place with themselves instead of getting into, sometimes we get into relationships where we think we can fix the other person. It just becomes a downward spiral. Some of us, we want to, we think what matters most is being a better parent than our parents, which is a great idea in, in practice, But the problem is we don't actually know what makes a better parent because all we have is what our parents taught us. And so we don't desire, we don't actually prioritize and change and improve because we haven't defined better parenting as what really matters most. Some of us haven't defined that our hope is when our kids turn 18 that they'll want to continue to hang out with us, not because we've been overbearing and a a hover parent, but we've given them choice and freedom to learn and grow, and they want to be a part of our lives. And and then they go forward in their life in a loving and compassionate way. Until you change direction, in a direction in which matters most, you are unlikely to experience anything that changes. Unless you change directions, nothing's going to change. And then if you just change directions to another bad direction, nothing's going to change. It's the same thing when it comes to our faith. Does God matter? Have you figured it out? For some of us, we just kind of sit there and we exist. We, we maybe say we believe in God, but God really has no practical application or impact into our lives. So then really, in all practicality purposes, God doesn't matter. 
Some of us, we got started, like we got rolling in the whole Jesus thing. Maybe we got baptized, we took a step of faith, we professed our faith, something like that. And then we just kind of sputtered out. Because it was cool in the moment, but it didn't actually matter most. It was kind of like nine or ten on the list of things that mattered most. And so we had to get one through eight done first. And I'm just telling you, you are inviting into your life unnecessary difficulty as you try to push past things that really aren't important. Things that are shiny and interesting for a moment, but really have no eternal consequence. And that's why I hope you would think about what matters most. Or maybe to change it a different way and ask who matters most. Because generally speaking, this is just a Christian perspective, but the most important things in life are going to start with a who, not a what. The most important things in your life are going to start with a who, not a what. And so I encourage you to define what matters most. Encourage you to think about, I know this is a step for some of you, but to, to pray about what matters most and to clarify what your next steps look like. Maybe it's somewhere around faith. Maybe it's a faith step. We have these awesome faith growth, growth guides in the back and they're very easy and they're very free and you just go to the page where you feel like is most appropriate you, for you. Maybe starting steps. Maybe growth steps. Wherever you are, you just find the page and start working your way through the page if it's faith-related. Because if you're going to define God as someone who matters most in your life, then what steps are you taking towards a better relationship with Him? Some of you have grown up in a church culture that you need to shake a little bit because it has created rules and regulations that really aren't key to following Jesus. Figure out Jesus first then the rules and regulations will follow. Figure out Jesus first, and then the rules and regulations will follow. I remember the first uh, day after becoming a follower of Jesus that I read the Bible. It was really boring up until that point, and then after that, I was just so excited. But I started to read the Bible through the lens of a father who loved me, not through the lens of a book of legalism, rules, and regulations. It changed everything. For some of you, you need to get involved in our church community, whether it be serving, inviting, giving, or in, a, in, or in a group. Serving, inviting, giving, or in a group. And it will help you to take those steps. For those of you online, maybe it's starting an online group, or maybe it's coming to church for the first time, physically stepping in here to be a part of this community. Define. Just do a, take a step, like we talked about last week. Take a step to define one or two things, three or four or five things. I wouldn't do maybe more than five. Just start there of what matters most. Don't wait. Figure it out now. Write them down and involve your spouse. If you're in a relationship, this is a good time to invite those who matter most in your life to be a part of what matters most. Some of you, if you really want to get bold, um, you can ask your kids, especially if they're older, you can ask them. This could be hard to receive, but ask your kids, We'll see if they'll be truthful, but what mattered as they saw it, as they see you, what matters most in your life? That could be a wake-up call that some of you desperately need because your kids watch you more than pretty much anybody else in the world and they can tell you fairly clearly what matters most to you if they're honest. But my hope, and I think your hope is too, 20 years from now, you're going to look back because you created a future. You stepped into a future that was better because you defined what mattered most now. 
And as Christians, maybe we could do a better job of moving away what isn't important and prioritizing on what matters most. Now, switching gears a little bit, we, we recognize that this is really important as a church. In fact, this has kind of defined our trajectory for a long time. One of the reasons we started Infuse is to be a church that unchurched people love to attend, um, that we wanted to prioritize, especially on Sundays, the value and the moment when someone who has been away from church for a long time or has never stepped foot in a church to come back to faith. That is a very difficult, large proposition. We recognize that, and so we try to remove anything that makes it extraordinarily difficult without compromising some of our values. And one of the things that we recognize, um, especially these days, is that our way of connection has changed. Back in 2015, when, when Infuse uh, started, excuse me, back in 2010, um, the number of smartphones, okay, smartphones that sold, uh, I want to say is about 200 million, okay, 200 million smartphones. By 2015, the year that Infused Church started, there was 1.4 billion smartphones sold. That's crazy. That's an extraordinary amount of growth. And what that has meant is in a very short amount of time, how we connect, and you know this, but it happens gradually enough that, like, we remember pre-Facebook, but we don't exactly remember pre-Facebook, okay? Some of us remember MSN Messenger, okay? But much before that, it's like, what, was it all rotary dial? I don't know, okay? But how we connect these days has changed dramatically. Like Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter, they wouldn't have maybe traveled so far to have their meeting, okay? They would have just had a WebEx today. They would have had a Zoom chat, a FaceTime, a Messenger chat, okay, today to figure some of these things out. That's how things have changed. And so we have a choice. Do we either stay in where we are or do we choose to remove things that make it difficult to connect to God and become more accessible in the ways that people are connecting today? And so our answer was pretty clear. We have to adjust to become uh, or to be and to engage in ways that people are relevantly connecting today. And one of the ways that we're doing that is moving Infuse online. Um, now, that means on Sunday mornings, if you go to our Facebook account or our infuse.church, uh, our website, you'll be able to join us live every single Sunday, which is really, really exciting. Um, and you have instant access to be a part of this community. And then um, our messages, which uh, some of you, uh, not some of you, let me correct that, a lot of you consistently tell me, it'd be really nice if the messages were up like right away. Now they will be up right away. You can always watch them on Facebook or our website. But more importantly, more importantly, I think what this does is three really important things. One, um, it, it gives uh, access, it, an accessible first step to infuse church tiffin. Coming to church can be a really big step. And I think by going live online and giving people a chance to watch us first through this medium, it makes taking that step a little bit easier. Some people have said, we watched your messages online. Before I went back to church after being an agnostic, I watched a bunch of pastors online before I decided what church I was going to go to. That's how people, especially in the next generation, will connect to church first and foremost. We are still going to meet physically together and do everything normally together because there is something about being together that is, uh, is transformational. It's very important. That community that we build together is very important. But we hope that this will be an easy first step to be a part of Infuse. Quick example, um, last week we streamed it live um, so people, family who couldn't make it could watch the baptisms. <clears throat> and I sent out three links, okay, three links, so that people could connect live. 
Nine people ended up connecting. Okay? This is a private link. Nobody else has it. Nine people ended up connecting. And we talked about it, and I figured out, more or less, where everybody was coming from and who the people were. But what was so interesting to me is nine shares turned into, or excuse three shares turned into nine people watching. And I, I realize those seem small, but if you think about that math, if 30 people share and invite, 90 people show up, that's massive, right? That, that's huge increase, very, very, very quickly. We had people from Washington State, uh, North Dakota, California, uh, Nebraska, and Iowa all connect to Infuse Church on a Sunday. And it took about a second for that to happen. That's incredible. That is not difficult. Therefore, that's why I think we need to prioritize it. Number two, I think this is more than just a live stream. Excuse me, not I think. This is going to be more than just a live stream. It's a church community. Starting today, the people who will be online chatting, so if you aren't here on a Sunday, you decide to uh, live stream in um, and be a part of our church online campus, uh, the people who will be on there chatting with you, representing Infused Church, are not people that physically attend here. They're people whom you're going to hear about from today and the next couple days, um, people who don't live here but who have made Infused Church their church home. And they're going to start building a church community online because they can't always make it to church. Eventually, we'll start small groups online. It will be its own congregation. Sure, some people will connect with us first and then come here, but there will be a church online simply because of the restrictions of physical distance or there's just not a church that somebody finds to be exceptionally comfortable and they would like to be a part of this one, which I think is just pretty pretty awesome. And third, and most importantly, that lives transformed by the love of God can still happen online. That if it's easier to impact someone's life, that means not only their life will change, but their kids' lives, their family's lives, their friends' lives will be impacted by the life change that person experiences. And if we can help others do that, even if they physically can't attend, I think we need to make that step. Remember, if we can share one link to three people, and it can reach, what is it, four or five different states, that's probably something we should consider doing. So now I want you to hear from, uh, from Clara, and Clara is a parent of someone who attends here at Infuse, but she physically does not uh, come to Infuse. She lives on the other side of Iowa, and she has um, uh, watched Infuse Church Online, which has only been messages up until this point, okay? All these people I'm talking about, they just watch our messages. They don't get to participate. They don't get to watch me um, uh, during the service. They don't get to watch the band, any of that kind of thing. Um, and um, so we sat down with Clara and just asked her about the impact that Infuse has had on her just simply watching the messages. And I want you to hear what she has to say, but then I also want you to consider if that is the impact we have just by putting our messages online and the connections we're building just by putting our messages online, what is it going to mean to have a church campus for people online? Take a look at, uh, at, her, at, at her story. Hi, my name's Clara. I listen to Infuse online every week. I started listening after I learned that Infuse had an app after attending Infuse with our daughter, I was excited to know that I could hear every sermon from my home. We live a little over four hours away, so how convenient to listen on my device anytime I want to. Since I only listen, usually while I'm doing custodial work in my home church, I feel like I am physically in the presence of the Infuse worship service. It simply makes my cleaning go quickly because I'm listening to a great Bible story in 
So the obvious question that must come to your mind is, why don't I look for a church similar to Infuse in the area where I live? I'm vested in my church. I have been an active member for the past 40 plus years. I've taught Sunday school for 40 years. I lead a youth group with regular attendance of 10 to 14 youth. We also have a woman's Bible study that meets weekly. There are several ways that a person can be an active participant in sharing and learning more about the Word of God. I've chosen to continue to serve my church and enhance my knowledge of God's Word by listening to Infuse online. Infuse has definitely strengthened my faith walk. Each message has given me a fresh interpretation of the Bible and gives me a desire to read more of God's Word. One of my most memorable messages was one of the first that I ever listened to when Taylor asked, Who's at your table? He started his message with his high school lunchroom experience. The first part of the message was humorous, and then suddenly it made me realize that we are selective in who we want to associate with. But Jesus wasn't. He chose his disciples who were some of the most unpopular or common people there were in those days. Are we like Jesus? I've shared that message with many people. I'm excited to see how an online campus will impact Infuse. I will pray for this outreach ministry. I'm most excited because I would like to see my little church family in Northwest Iowa be able to share this experience with me. I need to pray for my church as well. Knowing God and believing the printed word in the Bible is so great, but getting started can seem scary or overwhelming. I think it's important to start this new adventure because I believe there are many individuals who will benefit from this expansion of sharing God's word. In today's world, there are so many distractions to keep us from attending a church service, but by making Infuse available online, an individual can join a service at their convenience. So I, I want to make sure you heard that. She, she has her own church, but she still participates with us because it helps her grow. And you all are part of making that possible. And that she also shares it with all of her church friends too and tells them to download our app and participate with us as well. I think that's a testament to the type of environment and community that we've created here. And I think it helps us when we ask the question, who matters most, that it says, of course we need to do things like this outreach. Of course we need to do things that make it more accessible and less difficult to be a part of a church community and hear, hopefully, a truth that sets people free. And so that's why on March 22nd, we're going to start streaming live um, and make available this online campus to everyone. It's why over the last four, works, week, uh, four months, excuse me, we've been really working hard to, to plan and research and put this all together um, and, and really to get our whole church, both online and here in the room, involved in this. And we're really, really excited um, because when we answer this question, um, it's, it's those people like Clara that matter most to us. <clears throat> now, real quick, as I wrap up, um, if some of you are thinking about, hey, how can I get involved? How can I help make this possible? Um, uh, there, the first really is um, to share it. Uh, when we go live on March 22nd and then the following uh, Sunday, the 29th, and, 
and then in April and Easter and all those Sundays, share it. Invite your friends. It's so easy that if somebody says to you, hey, uh, I'm thinking about going back to church or something of that nature, you can just send them the link and say, hey, check it out, and we'd love to see you. That's an easy step that people can take. So just share it and make it a part of your social media feed and your community and relationships that you have um, with people around you. And the second thing um, is uh, to give. Um, One of the things that come along with uh, moving things online is a lot of technology, uh, a lot of technological backbone, and it's not exactly cheap. Um, And so uh, it it costs us going forward about $500 a month to provide this online uh, campus experience for people uh, and to make sure everything works uh, seamlessly uh, every single week. Um, and then it costs us uh, about uh, twelve to 15000 We're not totally sure as we're still learning and figuring out, hey, we need to do something different to actually put this whole thing together in upfront costs. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, and it definitely, trust me, it feels like a lot of money, okay? But if you want to start a physical church today, it will cost somewhere between $150,000 to $200,000. And so if you want to look at price comparisons, um, that is really, really an affordable thing um, to be able to engage with people online. In fact, and we're going to talk about this next week, people online are already giving to support this online ministry, which is just so awesome that people who are benefiting from this are already participating in making this possible. And so I just want to invite you to maybe make that step uh, as well, okay? And then the last thing is to really, seriously, when you go home today, ask yourself, ask your spouse, what matters most? Write it down, put it somewhere so that you are not easily distracted or defined by things that do not matter most. If you would, bow your heads, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, it is easier by far to think about what matters most. In fact, we probably have spent days and moments in our time uh, here to just think about what matters most. Uh, But it is more difficult to actually say it out loud, to write it down, to define it, to involve you in it, maybe make you a part of what matters most, and then actually live that out. So Lord, my prayer is that as we leave today, I would invite all of us to pray right now that that you, God, would help us to clarify what matters most. Clarify if you are a part of what matters most in our lives. To clarify who in our life matters most. Help us in our thoughtful, in our prayer time, to, to remove that which is a distraction, which is compromising, not just our moments now, but our future, making it more difficult for us to experience the promises that you give us as we move forward. Lord, give us the wisdom and the strength and the people in our lives to help us to define better what matters most. In your name I pray, amen.